0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast with Pastor Joseph Gibson at Cranberry Community Church. We hope God speaks to your heart through today's message. Lord, we thank you so much for your presence again here, Lord. I thank you for uh, just your provision, your protection, Lord, all you are and all you do. Pray your, gift, uh, your uh, blessing this morning over every gift, every giver, Lord, and over every heart, God, and I pray that you would grow your kingdom. In uh, Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to jump right in uh, to a new series this morning. Last week, we wrapped up a series called Truly, Truly. Uh, if, if you go back to where this series started, it started in the book of John, where John was looking back about 60 years uh, of, uh, from the time of Jesus' ministry. About 60 years later, he looked back and he said, uh, two things that I remember of Jesus in that moment to describe him. He said, he was full of truth and full of grace. Full of grace and full of truth. In the last few weeks, we've talked about uh, what John, John meant when he said that Jesus was full of truth and, and what we do with that, how we live out that truth that Jesus revealed. And the second thing, as I said, that John said of Jesus when he looked back is he said, this man, Jesus Christ, I remember was full of grace. And John chapter 14 He says this, it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. It goes on in uh, verse 17 to say, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, discovering exactly what John meant when he said that the truth came through Jesus is actually pretty easy, because if you have a Bible app on your phone, you type in uh, some variants of the word truth or teaching, and you get about 200 results. It's not hard to find what he meant when he said that Jesus was full of truth, a life-changing truth. But when we look into what Jesus said about grace, it's a different story. Uh, In fact, uh, if you search grace within the teachings of Jesus Christ I have a a little screenshot of what you'll find if you try to look up grace in the teachings of Jesus Christ there's nothing there now how is it that that if Jesus never taught on it if Jesus never spoke on it John says he was defined by it how does this work? Because Jesus chose to reveal his grace to us, not by what he taught, but by how he lived. Now, everything you need to know about truth, we find in the teachings of Jesus Christ. Everything you need to know about grace, we find in his life. We find in how he lived his life. Jesus didn't talk about grace directly, but grace came through him. His life shouted it from the rooftop. Rather than talk directly on the topic of uh, grace, what we'll find and we'll, we'll see some this morning is Jesus would insert himself into these situations where he would have to choose between the law and grace, between what law and ritual said or between what grace and compassion said. Even what uh, John said was Jesus' first public miracle, the turning of water into wine. Uh, it was a statement where Jesus said, uh, uh, grace and compassion trump the law and ritual. And I want to show you that as we begin. In John chapter 2, Jesus is attending a wedding. The Bible says this is his first uh, sign or his first miracle. He's attending this wedding and they run out of wine at the wedding. This isn't a life or death situation. This is a situation where for the the host of the wedding, this would have been humiliating to run out of uh, wine at their wedding. So let's read in John chapter 2, verse 6. It says, Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some uh, and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want to go back for a minute to verse six, because there's a key to this miracle that kind of uh, unlocks everything within the miracle. It's when uh, it says nearby stood uh, six stone water jars and it says the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing. Uh, first thing you need to know here is to the religious establishment, this was a very offensive miracle. The ceremonial jars that Jesus used for this miracle uh, were for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was for cleansing the unclean. If you go back to Leviticus 14 through 17, you find it right there in the law that this ceremonial washing uh, was crucial to making the unclean clean. Uh, I had this week one of those moments, one of those, uh, how did I miss that moments. Uh, All this time, I've read the story a million times. How did I miss that? Uh, I want to tell you a story. This is a a riveting story. So kind of hold on to the edge of your seats. Uh, This morning, I drank a cup of coffee when I got here. Now, after I drank the cup of coffee and I had this empty mug, instantly I knew that I wanted more coffee. Now, this is where it gets really good because I went out to the coffee pot and there's so much coffee in this coffee pot and I had this thought where am I going to put the coffee and then I realized I have an empty mug right here to put the coffee in you know a question I have never asked in this story is they've drank so much wine to this point they would have so many empty containers from the wine they would have so many empty wine skins from the wine but Jesus made the choice not to refill the old containers but to do the only thing that w- would have been offensive <laughs> Jesus chose to do it the only way that would be confrontational the only way that would bring about conflict you know there are several times in scripture where Jesus feeds 5,000 or 7,000. And what he does is he has these baskets and they're basically bottomless baskets. So they pass the basket around and it just never gets empty. How easy would it have been for Jesus to say, fill that wineskin skin and I'll bless it and it will never run empty. We would still be here this morning talking about the miracle when Jesus turned the water into wine. There would have been no conflict. There would have been no law brought into the picture. What Jesus was doing in his very first miracle, where he was bringing the law into the miracle so that he could show us that grace trumps the law. It was a statement miracle because at the time, the religious establishment of the day had gotten to this point where they were actually hiding behind the law to avoid doing the will of God. Rather than having compassion on people and mercy on people, they were hiding behind the letter of the law. In Matthew 23, it's this long list of Jesus saying, woe to you, teachers of the law. And he has this righteous anger. And at one point, uh, he says, woe to you, uh, verse 23, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. In other words, you tithe he says, you, you give, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice and mercy and compassion and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, he said, you are following the letter of the law and you've completely neglected the intent of the law. You're following the law of God, but you're not actually following God. Jesus was making a statement here that the law and tradition and ritual would no longer stand in the way of him meeting even the smallest need. One of my favorite things is this is one of the smallest needs that he chooses to kind of embark on his miracles. I have uh, kind of funny conversations with people uh, at work when they find out that I'm a pastor, whether it's sometimes coworkers or customers, because immediately they just want to find common ground. So they'll say something like, oh, you're a pastor. Uh, I have the Bible app on my phone. And I'm, I'm like, okay, That's, that'll be $10. But uh, a couple weeks ago I was talking to somebody and I don't know if they just felt like they needed to say something biblical, but they said, you know, I pray every day. Okay. Okay. And not only do I pray every day, but I never ask for anything. And I thought, like the response they're looking for is that's so noble of you. But the biblical response is that's so unbiblical of you. (laughs) You know, God shows us over and over in Scripture asking you will receive. He wants, uh, he, wants to, he wants you to have abundant life. God wants you to come to Him with your needs. And He shows us in the very first miracle that, that He's not going to get bogged down in, in the letters of the old law with semantics and ritual and tradition just to meet your most basic need. In that moment Jesus also did something very prophetic because the moment that he turned that water into wine those ceremonial jugs or jars they became void of their intended purpose and instead of those jars meeting their purpose Jesus met the need this was a prophetic picture of what was happening to the law It was no longer meeting its intended purpose, and Jesus was going to meet that need. Uh, I want to look uh, for a few minutes at some other instances where Jesus walks into into these situations where he is pinned between a choice of the law or grace. And we find how John came to this conclusion that this man was full of grace. So in Matthew chapter 8, we find one of the many instances where Jesus encountered a man with leprosy. It says in verse 1, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he cleansed the man of his leprosy. Now, the Bible says clearly here, and in fact, every story we're going to read today, it tells us right away that there was a large crowd on hand. And I think this was on purpose on Jesus' part. He wanted the crowds to see that he was full of grace, that he was bringing about grace. Now, in this moment, the law would have chastised this man because if you go back to the book of Leviticus again, it says that that someone who had a skin disease wasn't supposed to touch people. He wasn't supposed to come near people. Uh, If he had to come near people, he was supposed to announce every step of the way, unclean, unclean, and announce his presence before the people. So Jesus could have looked at the man and said, woe to you, you have broken the law. Not only this, but if you go back to the book of Leviticus, what you find is when someone with leprosy or a skin disease came to the priest, it wasn't to be cleansed, it was only to be examined. If you go back to the law, they didn't cleanse anyone with with leprosy, they only examined them. Their job was to examine them and if they still had sores on their skin, they would say you're still unclean and they would send them into isolation until they examined them again. Again, this is kind of where the law had gotten to by the time that Jesus was there. The experts in the law, basically, this was what they did. They would take the law, the 600 laws of Moses, and say, yep, still unclean. Yep, you're still unclean. And there was this idea, well, not really an idea. It was actually the law, that if the unclean touched the clean, then it tainted the one who was clean. But what Jesus was declaring in this moment was that he was willing to touch those that the establishment would not touch. He was willing to touch the untouchable because with Jesus Christ, it's not that when you come to him, you taint him. It's that his purity touches you. I have a point here if you want to write this down. It just says, under the law... Your uncleanness is contagious. Under grace, Jesus' purity is more contagious. Church, understand this morning that when it comes to this battle between the law and grace, grace wins. Don't approach him with this mindset that your sins are too much for him. They'll taint him. Don't approach him with this idea that your past is too dark for him. Because because the biblical narrative tells us that it is his touch that makes us instantly clean. And sometimes we have that same question that the man with leprosy had. It's not Jesus, can you do this? His question was, if you're willing Because we know that that he can. But can I tell you, this morning, if that's you, he is willing. I love Isaiah. In chapter 1, it says, Come, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be white as snow. I love that. He says, it is settled. Though your sins were as scarlet, they'll be white as snow. It's actually the very next chapter where Jesus again places himself between the law and grace. It says in uh, chapter 9 of Matthew, verse 18, A synagogue leader came and knelt before Jesus and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her, take heart, daughter. He said, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. Now, when Luke tells this story, Luke tells us that the crowds around Jesus are are so massive that they're almost crushing Jesus. So again, Jesus has this massive audience. And again, Jesus is put in this position to choose the law or grace, because again, Uh, grace and compassion could bring healing to her body. But the law was very specific. In Leviticus 12 and 15, it made clear two things. It said, don't touch anyone who's been bleeding. And then it made a law for the person bleeding. And you don't touch anyone either. You can neither touch or be touched by the one who's bleeding. So if we take into account that this woman pressed through the crowds that were crushing Jesus, how many times did she break the law to touch Jesus and break the law again? But the law came through Moses. Grace came through Jesus. I have another point here for you. Under the law, cleanness is a prerequisite to touching Jesus. Under grace... Cleanness is the result of touching Jesus. Under the law, you did not approach Him until you were pure and righteous and holy. Under grace, you are pure and righteous and holy because you have approached Him. Come on, church, that is good news. The Bible says that this woman had spent every dime she had on doctors and they couldn't figure it out. With the lepers, Jesus did what no one else would do when he touched them. With this woman, Jesus did what nobody else could do when he healed her. Finally, one more occasion I want to look at this morning where Jesus is pinned once again between the law and grace. It's in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2. says, at dawn, Jesus again appeared in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. Once again, Jesus is in the middle of a crowd. And he's put in this position of choosing between the law and grace. Now theoretically you could say in in all these other situations maybe Jesus wasn't aware of the law even though we know he was. So in this moment they say we're not going to leave it up to Jesus we're going to tell him the law and we're going to tell him what Moses said. Moses said to stone her. surely he will not choose grace when we tell him the law. What we know is that Jesus, once again, brought about grace. The third point this morning. Under the law, some people are irredeemable. The religious leaders thought this lady was irredeemable. Under grace, Jesus redeems the irredeemable. Under grace, there is no such thing as irredeemable. With the lepers, Jesus touched the untouchables, the ones that no one would touch. With the woman with the issue of blood, he cured the uncurable, the ones that no doctor could heal. And with this woman, he redeems the irredeemable, the ones that the Pharisees said, There's no hope for her. We've caught her in the deepest, darkest sin. Throw the stone. And Jesus said, No, I've come to redeem them. What we find in this story is that this redemption was not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. Jesus tells the woman plainly, go and sin no more. But the order of things there is key. He says, you are forgiven. I don't condemn you. And then he says, now go and sin no more. In other words, he said, operate out of the knowledge of your forgiveness. Based on the reality that you have been forgiven and redeemed, go and walk in freedom from your sin. He never said stop sinning and when you're done with that come to me and then I'll tell you that you're forgiven and that I'm not going to. He said start at this place that you are forgiven and redeemed and purchased by the blood of Christ and from there you walk in freedom. Church, Jesus didn't speak on grace because Jesus' life screamed grace from the rooftops. Everything we need to know about grace we find in the teachings of Jesus Christ Renee can you come Renee actually said something last week during worship she said that uh, she had had this revelation about the father's heart for her uh, that morning because it's so easy to have this idea that that the father just wants to smite us And God is just blocking him the whole time. But the Word of God says that the Father loves us. And in fact, in John chapter 12, Jesus said, Everything that I say to you is because the Father commanded me to say it. In John chapter 14, he said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Do you know what he's saying? Everything I say, everything I do is a revelation of the Father's heart towards you. This heart of grace and redemption and salvation, it's God's heart towards you. The love that Jesus poured out is God's love for you. Church, can you stand this morning? Jesus is not standing between you and an angry, disappointed God. Jesus is revealing to you a loving, compassionate God full of grace and full of mercy. The problem that Jesus ran into was he was stepping into this generation. That had learned all about who God was from these religious leaders who had no idea what they were talking about and sometimes the the problem that we face is before we can learn God's feelings towards us we have to unlearn what we've been taught all of our life and I believe this morning that there are some of us here who need to unlearn some things who need to stop seeing God with His arms folded or His finger pointing and see the Son who revealed God with His arms wide open saying, I don't condemn you, I forgive you, now walk in freedom. Church, can you close your eyes this morning? Church, if you're here and you say, I know that's me. For whatever reason, I have a tainted view of the Father. I have a tainted view of God. And this morning, Pastor, I just need prayer that I can turn that around. And I want to give that to God and receive his love. If that's you, can you just slip your hand into the air for a moment? I want to pray for you. Lord, you see every hand and you see every heart. Lord, I thank you for your presence. and I pray God that we begin to see you for who you are. Lord that we would find revelations of your love towards us. That we would begin our lives, Lord. Begin our day from the reality of forgiveness. And from there, God, that we would walk in freedom from whatever might be holding us down, Lord. I pray as Renee leads us, God, that you would touch hearts with your love, with revelations of your goodness. Church, as Renee leads us, I just challenge you to Open your hearts and allow God to speak to you. You may need to to, to go to your mind's eye and try to picture God in your own mind without His arms folded and and His fingers pointing because you've been doing it for so long. Can you see Him this morning with His arms open? Uh, I want to encourage you, if you took any notes, to make take one more note before you go and just write down those words I'm loved by God it's who I am I mentioned in the book of Leviticus if someone was unclean they had to wear it like a banner and everywhere they went they had to announce unclean unclean And too many of us walk out these doors and then we have this banner, still a sinner, still a sinner. And and we need to to rip that out of our book and change it to this banner that says, I am loved by God, it's who I am. Church, it is not the truth that will set you free, it is the knowledge of the truth that will set you free. Do you know these words? That you are loved by God. It is who you are. Write it down. Review it within the next 24 hours. And make it the banner over your life. Lord, I pray you go with us this week. Lord, I pray when we walk out these doors, there is a banner over our lives, over our hearts, over our spirits that says, I am loved by the Most High God. I pray this week, Lord, that we have opportunities to to be vessels, Lord, of your grace and of your love. Use us in a mighty way. Pour out your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. One other thing I wanted to say is I just finished off my coffee. So if that story from before just had you on the edge of your seats, then it's going to happen again in just a minute. So stick around. Right out there. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for a new message every single week. And as always, from all of us at Cranberry Community Church, may God bless you.